0: Welcome to Latin American Intersections, where we explore the intersection of business, geopolitics, and social impact in the Latin American and Caribbean region. Our team is here to bring you the insights you need on current events from leaders and experts in the public, private, academic, and civic sectors. Latin American Intersections is presented by Ozilold Group, A consultancy focused on stakeholder relations and alternative risk reduction, building collaborations across sectors and industries to improve outcomes for clients and communities. Please keep in mind that the opinions, ideas and information discussed on this podcast are those of the individual host and guest and do not necessarily reflect the official stances of organizations they are affiliated with. Be sure to follow at Latam Podcast on your social media. Share an episode or two with your friends and send us your questions about the region. And don't forget to rate us on any of your favorite podcast apps.
1: on this episode of latin american intersections we will be discussing chinese investment in latin american infrastructure and to help me explore this topic i've asked dr jorge heine to bring his insights dr heine is a public policy fellow at the woodrow wilson international center for scholars also referred to as the wilson center he's also the former ambassador of chile to china as well as india bangladesh and sri lanka in a conversation earlier he shared with me six key points that people need to understand about infrastructure in latin america such as the large deficit in infrastructure investment, and how China is not only bringing the capital to close the gap, but also bringing technology and engineering skill sets that may accelerate development in the region. Now, during the recording of this podcast, we did have some issues with connectivity that affected our audio. However, we did get some help from an audio engineer by the name of Kasim Sultan from Weston, Florida, who is also a music tech student at Broward College. That being said, please do forgive us for our recording gaffes, Without Kasim working his magic, we would not have been able to field this episode, so big thanks to him for his work. Hope you all enjoy this episode and find it insightful. All right, everyone, uh, please join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Jorge Heine, uh to the show, uh, also known as Ambassador Heine. Uh, you've been an ambassador to how many countries on behalf yes, of Chile? Yes,
2: I've been ambassador to South Africa, to India, and to China for a total of 12 years
1: okay excellent um that uh that's uh, a lot of experience to be bringing to the table on this topic so <laughs> so i did introduce our listeners a little bit to your background so if we want to get started um you mentioned earlier on the phone call with me uh that a chinese consortium has just won a bid for the fourth bridge over the panama canal It's a $1.4 billion project. And I think that kind of highlights the importance of this topic as far as infrastructure uh, and development in Latin America, the investment that is or is not there, and how China is moving into that space. So um, do you want to tell us just a little bit about that project as an example of what we're going to be discussing?
2: Of course. Well, what is particularly interesting is that uh, Panama Canal uh, is obviously you know a key uh, point in the Americas for logistics and transport, and uh, to have a uh, Chinese presence there in the form of this uh, consortium that will build this bridge, I find is quite emblematic of uh, the current presence of China in, in the Americas. Moreover, what is particularly interesting is that the Panama Panama has diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China only for 12 months now, until a year ago. Panama only had diplomatic relations with Taiwan. So, uh, this underscores the speed in which China is establishing presence in America in this short period of one year Uh, in Panama. China already has had a significant number of initiatives, and the result of this tender, the result of this bid, is only the latest example of it. Can you
1: hear me? Yes, yes. Okay, um, so that's that's an excellent example of uh, the kind of – the level of investment that Latin America needs and that, mm-hmm. and that China is willing to give, it seems, at this point. Um, so going into the, the, the six main the, – the six key points that uh, you wanted to highlight, mm-hmm. you've mentioned – that the first point that needs to be understood is that there's a deficit in infrastructure That's in right. Latin America or a deficit in investment in infrastructure That's in right. Latin America. That's so
2: okay. That is a key problem that we are facing. Uh, Latin America, and particularly South America, is quite uh, you know, removed from the main markets around the world, from Asia, from Europe, from, from North America. And therefore, logistics and transport are extremely important for us to be competitive in today's world. Moreover, many of the countries in the region have taken up the export development model. That is, they base their economic growth, their economic development, to a significant degree on the capacity to export. Often, these countries have relatively small internal markets, and therefore they depend quite a bit on the world markets. In that sense, everything that has to do with ports, airports, bridges, railways, is obviously uh, very significant. And uh, all the statistics that we look at, all the statistics that we see today, uh, tell us that there is a real problem, that uh, logistics and transport in in Latin America are really quite uncompetitive. Uh, You you compare the the logistics index, which is an index that people in the transport business have developed compared with uh, Europe, compared with North America, compared with Asia, We are far behind. This means that cargo takes longer, it's more expensive, it's more cumbersome to get from our ports uh, to the rest of the world. This also is pertinent for uh, internal uh, productivity. For example, uh, urban transport. It will often take workers a couple of hours to get from their homes uh, to the workplace. You can imagine what that that does to productivity. So this is a big challenge that Latin America is facing. We need an upgrade of our transport infrastructure, both for uh, in the internal economy and for our links with the rest of the world.
1: So this now, is, this is in general across Latin America, or are there be the examples it is, it
2: is. of? No, I mean, obviously there are differences, and you know, the situation of infrastructure, say in Haiti, is very different from the infrastructure, say in Uruguay. Uh, that that should be obvious, but. Uh, The truth is that even in in countries that have uh, significantly uh, developed infrastructure, for example, according to most rankings, uh, the country that has the best infrastructure in terms of highways, roads, airports, so on, is But even so, there are tremendous uh, deficits there. So I would argue that it is a real question across the board, across the region.
1: Right. And plus, uh, probably there needs to be development interconnectivity between countries in Latin America as well, not just within, their, uh, within each nation, I'm assuming.
2: Yes, of course. I mean, one, this is another point that is very significant. Uh, basically, the way our um, countries develop, this, particularly true for, for South America, is that you know, the, the connectivity goes uh, to uh, the ports, uh, to the airports that go to the rest of the world. Uh, but we have very little in terms of intra-regional connectivity. So, if one wants to get, say, um, you know, the uh, soybeans from uh, southern Brazil to the Chilean port to go out to Asia, uh, it's very difficult to do so. And therefore, they have to go through the Panama Canal, which is, you know, takes a much longer time and is much more expensive. Uh, so, internal uh, intra-regional connectivity. Is also a key element that we have to keep in mind.
1: Now, has has interregional connectivity also been a subject for uh, organizations like the OAS or the Pacific Alliance or some or uh, Mercosur in the past, or is it a a a priority topic now at all?
2: Well, no. It, I mean, it, it comes up uh, off and on, you know, uh, and uh, there are various entities that have been looking at this and, and developing plans. A key project that has been going on for quite some time is what has been called the bioceanic corridors. That is, uh, corridors uh, through railways or through other means uh, to connect uh, the Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast. And the reason for that is that today's main markets, of course, are in Asia. Uh, It is expected that by 2050, half of the world's product will come out of Asia. And uh, for countries like Chile, like Brazil, like Peru, the number one um, trading factor today is China. So, you know, a lot of countries in South America are looking at Asia, looking at China. And the challenge then is how to get their products, their uh, mineral products, their agricultural products, their manufactured products, uh, across the Pacific uh, to Asia. And that is where these bio-oceanic corridors come into play. There's a project now that has been mooted. to you know whether so it will actually happen. And there's a project that would connect the port of Santos in, uh, in Brazil all the way to the port of uh, Ilo in Peru. Uh, it's a very ambitious project. Uh, it's still in very much early days. But it is something that's being uh, discussed. A number of studies have been made on it.
1: Okay. Now, going back to um, public... Transportation as part of a, an infrastructure concern in these countries. Can you highlight one of the uh, cities that has the, in Latin America, that has developed some of the best uh, public transportation infrastructure and some of the ones that need work?
2: Yeah, well, I, I will say this. There is a certain consensus right now that uh, what works best in large cities, in capital cities, in the case of Latin America, is metros, that is subway systems. They are the fastest and uh, the most reliable ways to get people uh, to work back and forth. Uh, And uh, Mexico City of course has a very significant subway system. Uh, Sao Paulo has a subway system. Uh, Buenos Aires has a subway system. Rio de Janeiro. Uh, Santiago de Chile has one uh, as well. Uh, Bogotá is a, a very interesting example. They made the choice some years ago, not to build a subway system and to go instead with uh, buses and you know they have been paying the price for that uh, ever since uh,
1: absolutely and i have awesome. some experience with bogota and their public yeah, it's transportation it's there's so, definitely a deficit there
2: <laughs> it, it seems to me that you know a, a big challenge uh, at, of, of is to build some more uh, metal systems now they are expensive you know they take years but in the end uh, it seems to me that is the the way to go
1: well, with the, the considerable numbers of people that are part of the urbanization of Latin America, it seems that it would be a worthwhile investment no matter how long it takes. But um, let's move on to your second um, your second key point, which are the reasons why there's such a deficit in infrastructure in Latin America and such a deficit in investment in right. infrastructure in Latin America.
2: Yes. Well, you know, it, it's very interesting here to look, to look at, at the numbers. And the reason is very simple, basically. forward. What we added is, is basically a lot of tender investment in uh, infrastructure. Um, you look at the numbers, and in the 80s, the uh, investment in infrastructure was around 3.6% of uh, of GDP uh, throughout the region
1: this week- now, now, let me stop you there for a second. Now, is most of the uh, infrastructure investment in Latin America local, national Um investment, or is it foreign direct investment no, we, we, in we, these we, projects? These, these
2: numbers, these are uh, numbers from ECLAC, the Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean. And they pull together both uh, private and public, foreign and domestic investment uh, in infrastructure. You know, so these, are, these <clears> are numbers about the big picture uh, that we are, you, know, you know, across 33 countries. What happened then is that in, uh, in the 90s, uh, when uh, you know, uh, the Washington Consensus was established and there was a lot of pressure to uh, cut down expenses, um, these, these figures uh, went down to uh, 2.2% of GDP. Now, you might think that in the 2000s, with the commodity boom, and uh, with the uh, growth that took place in the region from 2003-2008 with 5% a year uh, you would think that that uh, investment would have gone up in fact uh, if it did so it did very marginally. and for the period from 2000 to 2015 um, the investment infrastructure again was not more than 2.2% of GDP which was the same as in the 90s so what I'm saying is Basically, there has been uh, a real underinvestment. It's important to keep this in comparison with other areas of the world. In East Asia, uh, that uh, figure reaches almost eight uh, percent, uh, and Latin America invests only slightly more than Sub-Saharan Africa does, which does two percent. You know, so we really have a lot of catching up, and we need uh, major efforts uh, to remedy. This uh, this situation.
1: Now, in in your opinion, does there need to be more outside investment from outside the region and outside uh, well, uh, these need, countries? We, more foreign direct investment we need, we or need, more local investment? Uh,
2: all of them. Uh, the basic point is: we need more investment in infrastructure. We need better ports. We need better airports. We need more uh, trains, more railways. Uh, we need more tunnels. We need more bridges. We need more metals more uh, uh, bus systems, uh, uh, an approach that actually says we have been underinvesting for a long time, we now need to do more. And that seems to me is a challenge. Now, what is uh, the problem that we face is that, you know, uh, Latin America was for many decades played by very high inflation. So, uh, the people that run our governments today and the economists that are in charge in the Ministry of Finance, their main concern is inflation. And they consider that they do their job if they keep inflation down, which means spending as little as possible. Now, that is fine, but at some point it can become a bit of a become a bit of a hindrance. If our infrastructure is such a, in such a, a dire condition that our productivity and our competitiveness is affected, it seems to me that we need to take we need to take some action. And we need therefore we need investment both from abroad and from uh, you know the domestic side, uh, both from the public sector and from the private sector.
1: So maybe maybe I missed it, but just in a nutshell, what uh, what do you think is keeping foreign investors and local investors from investing specifically in infrastructure? Are the public-private partnerships not strong enough? Is the return on investment too low? Um, Is there too many scandals? I mean, is there too much corruption going on, like uh, the kind of scandals and and corruption that Odebrecht experienced? What is it that's keeping uh, the private sector um, from investing more in Latin American infrastructure, especially if the private sector itself would benefit from uh, infrastructure development? Well,
2: I think the the Odebrecht uh, scandal has been a major issue uh, that obviously put a dam on a lot of projects that, that were going on. Now, that said, it seems to me it's important that we won. We cannot, uh, you know, uh, keep keep stuck uh, on that uh, problem, however big it may be. Uh, Now, it it seems to me that there are several issues here that that come into play. Uh, One of them is that, you know, we have, in in, in many countries, including Chile and others, there are very elaborate procedures for uh, participating in tenders, uh, for highways, for bridges, for airports, and so on. Uh, these...
1: Uh, so very complex bidding systems relevant. in some of these countries.
2: It, it, it is important to have transparency. It is very important to, you know, act uh, according to the established to which This is how the uh, uh, market-driven economy works. But it seems to me that sometimes we go overboard in, in having systems that are so elaborate, so complex, that they uh, may take decades for for project to come to fruition. So it seems to me that perhaps we can work a bit on that. Let me to give you an example. What what Chile uh, has had a very good experience with private and public uh, partnerships, uh, but a few years ago uh, a change was made in the in the procedures, and once a bid is allocated to any given company to build, say, a highway, uh, it is the company then that the um, environmental impact assessment uh, decisions uh, after they have been given, uh, they have been allocated that particular bit. That, it seems to me, is a real problem because that may mean a number of additional years. In an ideal world, it seems to me, you should, once the project is allocated, the government should uh, allocate that project with all the permits that are needed so that the company can proceed to build right away. And not have to wait another four or five years because they before they get the environmental impact assessment. So these are the kinds of things that you need to look into and take action on. Hmm.
1: Okay, so um, given that, let's move into the uh, let's let's go ahead and move into your third uh, key point, which is the effects that this has. Yeah. So without the without it, you know if something isn't done to make the uh, streamline these tenders to invite more investment into latin american infra- infrastructure whether it's public private partnerships or other um, uh, forms of investment uh, what are kind of the wide-ranging effects is this going to slow down the projected growth of some of these countries or some of the econ- the economies within latin america is this going to slow down some of the regionalization that's already happening um, what are some of the effects that we can sure, expect? Here? Sure, no, that,
2: that's another point. Uh, according to estimates by uh, McKinsey, uh, the lack of proper infrastructure uh, in Latin America uh, means that we are growing, and the number of countries are growing at at least two percent of the yearly growth of GDP, less than we could if we had the proper infrastructure. I mean, if you look at some numbers like, you know, productivity, labor productivity in, in Latin America, as a rule, obviously, this lies from country to country, It's quite low. Uh, one of the reasons is, you know, uh, if people have to spend an hour and a half or two hours to get from their home to their workplace, obviously this affects their, you know, levels of energy, their commitment, the capacity to work, you know, at, at peak performance levels.
1: Uh, well, and in some cases, it may even raise their, you know, the level of stress that they're experiencing, considering that not all public transportation is, is considered safe in Latin America. Yeah, of, course, of course.
2: So that, that, that is a real problem. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, in, in terms of you know, our uh, connectivity with the rest of the world, I have seen some numbers that logistics and transport, for example, uh, make up to 8% of any uh, given unit, exported in the OECD countries in Latin America that figure is somewhere between 13 and 17%. Now that is you know almost in some cases twice as much that means that the price of the products we sell uh, to the world are less competitive than they could if we had uh, better infrastructure in place so this is a very has a very tangible effect on our economies on our development on our productivity you know the, the argument for this is not because we would like to have sort of bigger and nicer highways. <laughs> That's not the reason. Uh, we need better railway systems. We need better metro systems. We need better ports because we are not growing at uh, a high enough rate to reach development. Now, we need.
1: <laughs> now, Doctor Honey, there's. Uh... One of the areas that I like to focus on is the ag sector. So just real quick, how much do you think the lack of infrastructure and lack of investment in that infrastructure um, is affecting rural communities, is affecting uh, smallholders and farmers? Uh, How much is that affecting the ag sector? How much is it constricting uh, agricultural uh, crop distribution? Uh, and product distribution um, well, within these yeah. domestic and, and export well, markets?
2: Well, you know, uh, quite a bit. I mean, let me give you let me give an example. Um, it is estimated that around one-fourth of all the agricultural products imported by China, which is a big market, needless to say. It comes from four countries in uh, South America, uh, Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, and Chile. And this includes soybeans, includes meat, includes uh, fruit, includes many agricultural products. Uh, And these products are taking a longer time to reach um, China and the Asian markets because of these problems that that we have. Now, some of these uh, products are produced by very large undertakings, but fruit is often produced by, you know, small holdings. And and they would benefit and would get better prices and they would get their money in quicker uh, if we had uh, better systems, a uh, faster system to transport these goods uh, to China.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, so now moving on to your your next the next key point that you wanted to cover the what should we do about this lack of infrastructure? Sure. Um, what yeah. I guess go go right into it. What, what should be done about this and, and where should some of that investment come sure. from?
2: Well, there are several things here that, that need to be uh, kept in mind. Uh, what we have had uh, in 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 Western countries, in, in North America and in, in Europe uh, over uh, the past few decades, is a real uh, slowdown in uh, infrastructure investment. This is particularly true in the case uh, of the United States. And that has uh, percolated also to the international financial institutions, which used to finance big, like the World Bank and the regional banks, used to finance big infrastructure projects in the 70s and 80s, and uh, then slowed down their expenditure quite considerably. now spending much less on it. So that financing arm is now much less potent than it used to be. Who has is now stepped into this void, and uh, with a considerable amount of funds and the willingness to uh, fund these projects is China. You know, China has uh, the China Development Bank and the China Export Bank, but also a new bank, the Asian Investment Infrastructure Bank, it was set up only in 2015. They just had their general third annual general meeting in, in Mumbai. They will hold the next in Luxembourg next year. Uh, and that is where a uh, considerable amount of money for these projects uh, has become available. At the same,
1: well, and they're being very proactive about their approach to Sorry. the region as well. I mean, they just uh, they have the Foro China select China, mm-hmm. um, the forum on on China select relations.
2: That's right. Um,
1: right. And uh, to quote the. Um, That was the second meeting that they had, so the second ministerial meeting of the Forum of the Community. And and to to put it all in English real quick here, uh, they had the second ministerial meeting of the Forum of the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States Mm -hmm. and China. And like you said, that was held in Santiago back in January.
2: The the first Um, one was held in Beijing in 2015. I I participated We had our foreign minister there. Uh, And uh, I also uh, attended a function in, in Santiago. Uh, this January, uh, uh, on it. And uh, what, what is interesting about this is that uh, China is relating to countries in Latin America, not just uh, bilaterally, as it were, through the embassies and addressing their own uh, national concerns, but also regionally and, and looking at, at the region uh, as a whole. And that is, it seems to me, points out to another challenge that we face that is to come up with uh, regional or sub regional projects. Uh, which are of particular interest to uh, to China because they are of a different order of magnitude. And this is where, again, the question of the bioseanic corridors uh, comes into play, which I think uh, could make such a difference.
1: Uh, real quick, let me ask you this. So one of the targets that was adopted in Beijing um, back in 2015 was reaching a 2025 Total trade exchange of at least five hundred billion and mutual foreign direct investment of about two hundred fifty billion is this um, is this plan for cooperation on track for that?
2: Well, I will say this: uh, last year, uh, uh, after a, a couple of years of uh, downturn because of the downturn in the commodities boom, uh, trade between China and Latin America reached two hundred sixty-six billion. Which was at near record levels. So if that is kept up, I think it would be very much on track.
1: During a downturn?
2: That's right. I mean, in the, for, wow. yeah, 2013 was around 270 billion. In 15, and 16 uh, there was a downturn because of the downturn in the commodity prices. But in, in 2017, there was an uptick at, as I said, 266 billion. Now, uh, the other thing that's important to keep in mind is investment. And here, uh, Chinese companies are also coming in uh, with uh, great strength. Let me give you an example. Uh, State uh, State Grid, which is one of the uh, biggest and not the biggest energy company in the world, only a month ago, or so announced uh, $38 billion worth of investment in Brazil in the energy sector for the next five years now. When you're talking about 38 billion, you're talking about a very significant uh, amount. And at a time when Brazil is undergoing a somewhat rocky period, you know, um, another company, uh, Pianchi, which is in lithium, has just announced a $4 billion investment in a Chilean company, Sokimich, they're buying $4 billion worth of shares in that company. So, what I'm saying is, I mentioned earlier the case of Panama. So uh, China is really uh, all over the place, and they're coming in uh, with uh, all guns lending. Uh,
1: Hello? Are you still there? Yep. Did I lose yep. you? Okay, go ahead. Yep. Uh, so uh,
2: the point I'm trying to make is that there are significant opportunities uh, out there because of uh, the availability of Chinese funds, because of the interest of chinese companies chinese companies have uh, you know invested a huge amount uh, of money in 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 china in their own infrastructure in the past few years there's one number which you may or may not know but more cement was poured and consumed in china between 2011 and 2013 than was poured and consumed in the united states in all of the uh, 20th century. I mean, so this gives you an idea of the order of magnitude that we are talking about. And now that uh, China is largely covered with cement, these companies are looking elsewhere for opportunities. And South America and Latin America in general is one area where we need a lot more infrastructure. We need a lot more cement. And uh, these companies can deploy their expertise, their capital, their experience in helping us develop our own uh You know, ports, airports, tunnels, beaches.
1: Absolutely. Now, considering the the rate of consumption of uh, Latin American commodities by China, I mean, it definitely makes sense that they're going to pour as much investment as they can into infrastructure, especially that which is going to help to galvanize um, investment in rural communities, I think. Um, uh, Latin America as a whole is projected to grow to 166% production by 2030, I think. And it sounds like China is is putting itself in a position to absorb a lot of that additional 66% uh, production. That's
2: right. Well, you know, what, what is very interesting here is that um, a key figure that you have to keep in mind is that uh, China has around 19% of the world's population, and only 7% of the world's freshwater resources, and only
1: 7% of the world's arable land. This- Whereas Latin America has a fourth or a third? I uh- China, Latin America, I think
2: it's about a fourth of the world's freshwater reserves. And,
1: and, and one-third of the arable land, right. if, I, so, if I remember correctly. Well, there,
2: there's, there's a huge complementarity there. You know, we can provide the food that uh, China will need uh, for many decades to come. Uh, but for us to be competitive, I mean, I saw it myself in the three and a half years I spent in Beijing. Everybody wants a piece of China these days. It's very competitive. <laughs> yes. So if you want to be competitive, you need to get your product. You need to get your soybeans. You need to get your food. You need to get your wine. Quickly and
1: you know at competitive prices through uh, China, and for that, let me let me let me let me take it in a slightly different direction, just really quickly. So, um, because this is a topic that I've touched on before in a previous uh, discussion yeah. with uh, Dr. Evan Ellis of the U.S. Army War College, and that is India. Yeah. Is India, even though it is not yet at a competitive level of investment in the region, um, why? It, it, are people starting to see India as something that they also want a piece of in terms of being able to export uh, their products to just like China? Or is that something that's really on the back burner, not even on the radar of many uh, Latin American countries? No,
2: I, I will say that uh, India has come back uh, from from behind uh, quite strongly in, in the last few years. And, um, you know, uh, it, the one thing that people often do not realize is that uh, 10 years from now, India will have a bigger population than China, <laughs> so uh, and uh, right now it has been growing at a faster rate, at a higher rate than China. India has been growing at 7-7.5%, China has been growing at 6-6.5%. So, uh, what I'm saying is that uh, India obviously is another very significant player, Uh, countries in Latin America have realized that. Now, we're talking about different orders of magnitude. You know, the the size of the Indian economy is about one-fourth of that of the Chinese economy. So in that sense, you know, it is important to keep things in perspective.
1: But if we look... When you talk about a consumer market, you're still talking about uh, nearly a a billion and a half people, a billion and three? That's right.
2: 1.3? 1.2 billion in the case of India. 1.36 1.36 billion in the case of China. And the, the middle class in India is estimated to be at around 300 million. Uh, so there is a significant market there. And obviously, you know, in, in terms of, of Latin American uh, sort of strategies, if you will, international trade policies, it is not a good idea to put all your eggs in one basket. You know, China is very significant, but
1: Certainly not.
2: India. And obviously, you need to, to diversify your markets. And, uh, you know, in India, in that sense, offers a, a very significant uh, opportunity.
1: Well, it seems like there'd be two different markets as well, because where China might consume more of the commodities and, say, the crop production from the ag sector, as an example, India would probably maintain its own production when it comes to uh, basic foods and goods, but it might import other types of commodities from um From Latin America, but um... absolutely.
2: And the other thing that is important to to keep in mind here, when we talk about markets of this size, um, one thing I kept telling, you know, my visiting uh, businessmen when they came to India when I served there uh, for years, and and then in in China, is the following: Uh, these are markets that are very specific in terms of their um, consumer preferences in terms of their needs. And they are of such a size that uh, it pays to develop products that are tailored to that market, rather than simply produce and say then go to the exporter and say, well, I've got this while you see whether you, where, you, where you can place it, you know. Part of the reason for Chile's success with its fruit exports to China, Chile is the number one export of fruit to China, bar none, is because... We have developed uh, fruits that are very much geared to the uh, Chinese market and to the Chinese consumers. And in in the case of India, for example, India is a huge vegetarian population. About 40% of the population is vegetarian. What does that mean? They also need to eat a lot of uh, nuts and almonds to compensate the lack of protein they get from they would get otherwise from from animal uh, meat, and uh, that means you have to produce almonds that are eaten by hand. They have to be perfectly rounded and so on as opposed to almonds that are used say for dessert or other things. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, these are such significant markets that you have to find your niche and produce for that niche, as opposed to send them. You
1: know, whenever you have a Indeed. So while everyone's out uh, trying to find their, their niche within these markets, um, what are some of the considerable reservations that uh, – we may have touched on this a little bit, but it's, it's also – I recall it's one of your – it's pretty much your sixth point. Like, what are the reservations that people have about um, – uh, investment in Latin America infrastructure, or reservations about how Chinese investment in Latin America infrastructure is picking up so much?
2: Well, you know, there, there are several uh, reservations that people express. One of them is that uh, Chinese companies, uh, as a rule, prefer to have government-to-government agreements as opposed to participating in uh, open tenders and open bids. You know, And obviously, uh, there is a transparency issue there. And people will uh, you know, underline that and, and say that is a problem. So I myself think it is better to have open tenders and bids. That is better for everyone. And what I kept uh, telling uh, Chinese companies is that they are perfectly capable of participating in these tenders. And you know they have the capital, they have the expertise, they have knowledge, they have the professionals to win them. But it's, it's something, you know, it's not something that is easy. I mentioned before, sometimes there you are know, very elaborate procedures and you must really get to, get to know them. So that is one uh, reservation. The other reservation that people uh, will often uh, express is that uh, the countries might get uh, into very heavy debt and, you know, they should be uh, aware of that. And there's a problem if you get, if you have any, obviously that is not a good thing countries, you know, know, it's default, it has happened in the past, in in Latin America, in the recent past. And, well, to that I say, well, of course, every, every project has to be evaluated on its own terms. You know, you don't want to end up with white elephants, you don't want to end up with bridges to nowhere. Every project has to be evaluated on its own terms. But what you cannot do, it seems to me, is say, uh, let us not build because, you know, <laughs> we don't want to get into debt. We have these needs and these needs have to be addressed. And uh, if you have the right projects, you know, investment in infrastructure uh, is it pays off very well. It's, it's very good. It increases productivity. It makes your country more competitive. There are all sorts of payoffs.
1: Well, and there's a way to monetize these projects so that they're essentially paying for themselves, um, not just in the return on investment in terms of what your you know, national companies are able to uh, to import or produce that much faster in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, no, of course.
2: But so the, the basic point is the following. Uh, if we want Latin America to grow at a higher rate, there's consensus that it's not growing at the rate it could. We need to do something about it. And, you know, most people would agree to the proposition that investment infrastructure is one of the best ways to
1: add to the uh, GDP growth. And for that, where you need to put that? Now, before you go on, Dr. Ani, now I have to ask this. Does it add to the GDP growth and to the Gini coefficient? And for anyone who doesn't know, the Gini coefficient is the distribution of wealth within a different country. GDPs can always be... GDP might look amazing, but if that wealth and that uh, investment isn't somehow reaching um, the the widest number of people possible within a country, then it's not necessarily helping the the it's not necessarily helping the the average citizen uh, that should be um, benefiting from it. So, so I guess, and and just to rephrase the question, so does do do we have a good handle on how infrastructure investment also? Helps the Gini coefficient as much as the GDP.
2: Well, that, that's a very good point, uh, point. and I, I will I will say this: uh, Latin America is is the region with the most uh, unequal income distribution uh, in the world, and that is a real problem. It is something we need to address. Now, uh, an important part of this, you know, has to do with sort of daily quality of life. People. You know, again, to go back to my point, uh, if you spend, you know, uh, two hours uh, a day, or two and a half hours a day on your way back to your workplace, that does not add to your quality of life. So it seems to me that transport systems, for example, if we have good transport system, if we have good subways, if we have good public transport that allows people, allow people to get faster to the job, that increases their quality of life and makes a significant difference for uh, everybody. So in that sense, it seems to me, uh, infrastructure not only adds to GDP, it also adds to quality of life and perhaps indirectly to a better uh, Gini beneficial.
1: Excellent. Did, and did I mispronounce that? Is it Guinea or... or Gini, Gini. <laughs> okay, good. I, I feel like I've had several people pronounce it completely differently. Um, but, uh, so let me let's go ahead and go into a little bit of a lightning round and what we're going to do is i'll go ahead and ask questions from our online audiences Mm -hmm. and um you just answer them as quickly as you can 30 seconds to a minute each question and um and then we'll go ahead and wrap up so the first question on all of this Mm -hmm. is um it comes from Freddy santos Mm -hmm in miami who is a student of international relations at florida international university mm-hmm. uh my alma mater uh, you know go panthers mm-hmm. um so and he's also an army reservist mm-hmm. u.s army reservist mm-hmm. so um his question has to do with sort of the security aspects of this mm-hmm. like what is the u.s doing to possibly counter chinese influence in Latin America, and specifically this this sort of, in, you know, how much does this infrastructure investment influence Latin America, and what is the U.S. counter to that? Are we going to invest more in infrastructure? Do we have investments already in place, et cetera? So, sure.
2: Well, that is a, a fair question. Um, yes, um, you know, some people express uh, the concern that um, you know, an increased Chinese uh, presence in Latin America um, uh, should be a motive of, of worry uh, for the United States. Uh, I, I don't agree with, with that. Point. First of all, it's important to keep in mind that um, Latin American countries are way past the point where they only relate to the North American and Western European countries. We now have links with everybody. We have links with countries in Asia, countries in Africa, uh, in Europe, in North America, and that is what you know open modern economies uh, do. And so, the notion that somehow. Um, should, uh, Chile or other countries in Greece should not have uh, business with China. Uh, it's not Okoran. It's not the way...
1: <laughs> so it's not an it. either-or proposition. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a dichotomy. No, sorry, or it's and, more of a know, false dichotomy.
2: Our has excellent relations with the United States, uh, and we also have excellent relations with, with China. So we don't see it as an either-or, not at all. And, and I would argue, in fact, it's good for the United States for... Uh, Latin American countries to prosper, to do better business with other countries of the world, it means we also be able to do more business uh, and more commerce with the United States itself.
1: And um, so going on, I, I actually have a follow-up question involving the Pacific Alliance in Chile after this, but uh, hopefully I don't forget. The next question I have is from LinkedIn and it's from William Watkins, who is a community development project manager at the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. And his, maybe you can understand this question a little better than I do, but he asks, are jobs for Chinese workers tied to China's investments in Latin America?
2: Well, I will say this. Uh, Chinese construction companies
1: have, you know... Oh, and and actually, Dr. Honey, let me tie that into another question as well. Um, Along with that question, um, another another individual... uh, Director of the Gordon Institute, FIU Brian Fonseca, was also asking about the use of Chinese labor over local labor in Latin America. So, if you can speak to those well, points,
2: well, that, that is a fair question. Uh, yes, uh, Chinese construction companies will often use their own crews that they uh, bring from
1: from China uh, to uh, develop particular projects in this. Case, do they find their crews to be more competent? Do they not well, find
2: they, you competent? Well, they have the have workers, they have their work methods, uh, and it works for them. You know, they, they right, quickly right. And they know how to get things done. Now, that said, uh, this is something that is acceptable in some countries. It is not acceptable in others. You know, In Chile, for example, this is not something that would be acceptable. So, again, it seems to me that Chinese companies have to uh, realize that uh, they have to be uh, flexible. And they have to understand that uh, certain methods will work in certain parts of the world, in certain countries, they will not work in others. And if they want to compete with the big boys uh, voice in, in construction uh, worldwide, they must adapt uh, to that uh, reality. And I'm fully aware that the question. you have China to leverage Chinese local labour at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's right. uh, the use of Chinese labour is something that's very controversial. Many unions in many countries will not accept that. And this is
1: something they have to take into account. And it's it's sort of, these are the rules of the game. Mm. Okay. So um, uh, moving on to the next question. Are you there? Yes. Did yes. I lose you? Yes, yes. Okay. Every so often there's these odd sounds uh, for our listeners. Yes. I'm not sure if they're going to pick it up in the recording or not. Yes. Um, so the the next set of questions is, again, from uh, Brian Fonseca, oh, the right. director of the Gordon Institute mm-hmm. At uh, Florida International University, a part of the School of International and Public Affairs, there, um, and he asks, "What innovation is coming out of Chinese infrastructure investment?"
2: Sorry, I, what in there?
1: What innovation oh. is coming? So, sure. what kind of what kind of innovation are we seeing due yes. to uh, Chinese investment in infrastructure? Sure. Sure.
2: Well, it is important to keep in mind the following, as I said uh, earlier. Uh, The investment in infrastructure that we have seen in China over the past few decades has been extraordinary. And in terms of innovation, uh, to give you one example, uh, the bullet trains uh, are today, you know, China has 20,000 kilometers worth of high-speed railways. This is 60% of all the uh, high-speed railway lines in the whole world. Uh, and uh, you know uh, these are trains that I use them very often. They run at three hundred, three hundred fifty kilometers an hour. Uh, so the leading edge high speed railways today are in, in in China. That's one example. Uh, another example is uh, how to make tunnels uh, uh, very fast and uh, relatively inexpensively. China has developed uh, technology that allows them to make uh, tunnels, bore through mountains. Uh, very efficiently and, and and very
1: quickly. This is what allows. Which is something that Latin America needs desperately. That's
2: right. Let me give you an example. The rate at which uh, Shanghai has been building its uh, subway is at 25 kilometers of subway line
1: a year. Uh, How does that compare to well, the rest of the world? Let me, let me
2: uh, respond to that. In, in Chile, <laughs> uh, for a long while, we were doing two kilometers a year. Then we make a jump to four. And the current government wants to expand it to eight. But we are still talking about a lot less. If you look at, say, the rate of the Toronto subway system, I think it's about one kilometer a year. So we are talking about very different types of, of speed. It's called what is known in China as China speed, which is to get things done quickly and fast. And today, you know, some people say, the, the real uh, distinction in the world is not so much between socialist and capitalist economies as between uh, fast countries and slow countries. That's <laughs> definitely in the category of uh, fast countries.
1: <laughs> that, that is a good way. That is a very interesting perspective. I may have to speak on that some more in some other podcasts. Yes, um, so, additionally, uh, Brian also asks, what other commercial activities accompany Chinese infrastructure projects?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, there are a a number of things that that, uh, of that. I mean, to give you an example, uh, in in Panama, which we mentioned uh, earlier, um, China is the second uh, biggest user of the Panama Canal after after the United States, and is uh, investing in a variety of projects there but they are also uh, the biggest suppliers of the uh, Canal Free Trade, the Colón Free Trade shopping center uh, and the shopping complex in, in the Panama Canal. So, uh, together with uh, infrastructure, there's also a lot of trade that goes hand in hand, and, and China is very much ready to, to supply the goods for that.
1: Excellent. So they're bringing a lot of additional activity. Um, so the the final question here, and I'm actually going to hijack Brian's question a little bit. Mm-hmm. His last one is: um, Do LATAM countries get a fair shake in negotiations? But before you answer that, what I want to do is um, jump on more into the Pacific Alliance train. So, and for anyone that doesn't know, the Pacific Alliance is. Uh, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, Chile, and possibly in the near future will also include Panama and maybe even Costa Rica, yes, if I'm clear on that?
2: Yes, there is a possibility. And, yeah, yeah. But for and, now, it's four
1: members. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, in, and so we're talking about those four countries uh, having commercial cooperation, having uh, educational cooperation, and in the far future, possibly even like uh, a, uh, a single passport, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, Using them as an example, using the Pacific Alliance as a whole Mm -hmm. and its relationship with China, Mm -hmm. how has that um, how has the Pacific Alliance fared in its own negotiations with China compared to other countries that have been working with with the Pacific Alliance?
2: Well, you know, there have been no uh, formal negotiations of the Pacific Alliance with China per se. What we have had, and I for example, when I was ambassador in China, I uh, led uh, one such uh, event. We had a seminar uh, on investment promotion, tourism promotion of the four countries uh, in, in China in uh, and, and the year that uh, Chile was chairing. I led that uh, effort and we held it in Chengdu, uh, which is a, a city in, on the, in western China. Uh, very dynamic, uh, lots of things going on there. Uh, what I'm saying is the uh, Pacific Alliance has established uh, a presence in China in terms of advertising uh, the existence of these four countries that have uh, strong links between them. Uh, you know, there are 33 countries in Latin America and the And for our Chinese friends, it is often not easy to distinguish, you know, among these vast uh, panoply of of, of states. So the the Pacific Alliance is a very good platform on which to convey these four countries, with all of them on the uh, Pacific Ocean, that are particularly committed to trade with Asia and with the Pacific, and that are especially interested in facilitating uh, investment and trade flows with China.
1: Would you say that as a group or individually they've had... Negotiations with China overall.
2: Well, what, what I mean, both Chile and uh, Peru have uh, free trade agreements with uh, China, uh, and that is still very uh, useful for facilitating uh, trade with, uh, with with China. Uh, Colombia is interested in exploring that, and I understand uh, there are conversations underway to move forward in that regard. Uh, Free trade agreements are a very important part of uh, what it takes uh, to access uh, the Chinese markets and Asian markets in in general. Uh, For Chile, we we signed the first free trade agreement that China signed with any single country, not just in Latin America, but worldwide in 2005. And last year, to give you an idea of the volume of trade that exists between Chile and China, that uh, volume reached $34 billion, which is you know, a considerable amount of, wow. of, of trade. This is more than what China trades with Pakistan, which is a country of 200 million, a neighbor, military allies. Uh, and we are a country of 18 million located in the other side of the world. And we do more trade uh, with China than Pakistan or Turkey, which is a huge economy, 100 billion. Uh, and, um, you know, we do more trade than, than Turkey. Uh, so, what I'm saying is, uh, in today's globalized world, uh, distance is not the obstacle that it used to be. And if you have a free trade agreement and have the right products, you can do very well.
1: Now... Uh sort of an extension of that, and this is, again, sort of my own question. China has the Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. um, which has taken on um, some various forms. Uh, it crosses Asia and Eurasia, but it also wants to involve Latin America in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how... How is it planning on involving Latin America in the Belt and Road Initiative?
2: Well, uh, the, well the Belt and Road Initiative started in 2013, uh, basically as a way of you know, some recreating uh, the Silk Road, uh, made famous by Marco Polo in its uh, heyday, uh, and connecting uh, Asia through Central Asia uh, to Europe. You know? And that, that was for a long time the basic uh, theme of what you know now, now uh, both by land and also uh, by sea. There was uh, so-called maritime uh, silk road uh, going down across the Pacific, uh, sorry, across the Indian um, Ocean and up uh, through the Persian Gulf on the way to, to Italy. Uh, now, over time uh, this has changed and uh, last year, in May of 2017, when the first Uh, Belt and Road uh, International Cooperation Forum took Place, attended by uh, 29 heads of state and government from all over the world. There were two from Latin America, President Bachelet of Chile and President Macri of Argentina. And uh, now uh, the Belt and Road Initiative has become more of a sort of international development proposal for um, the global south. Uh, And in that sense, it is also pertinent for Uh, Latin America. We talked earlier about Panama. Uh, Panama has signed on to uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. It wants to be very much part of it. Given the the key role Panama plays as a transport hub in in the Americas, uh, I think that is very significant.
1: Okay. Now, this last and and final point, and I'm kind of asking you to pull your crystal ball out here. Um, (laughs) The Do you foresee the possibility of the U.S. uh, not only continuing to or at some point investing more in Latin American infrastructure as well and or promoting that type of international development, but also potentially collaborating with China and and other interested groups in participating with them and collaborating with them? in the development of Latin America infrastructure and trade
2: yeah, well i mean it seems the the point is the following we what we want is we want to develop we want to grow we want to um, have a better standard of living for our population and we are keen uh, to do business with uh, you know all countries around the world that can contribute uh, to this via trade, via investment, and it seems to me that um, if the United States wants to take part in developing a Latin American infrastructure, uh, well, U.S. companies are more than they're welcome to do so. You know, again, the system in many countries is uh, through open this, so there, there is no, no limitation, there's no constraint. There are big construction companies in, in this country uh, and they are, of course, welcome to, to participate. Uh, you know, there's so much to be done, and you know, all all companies are are, are welcome. Now, some people would say that the United States has huge infrastructure uh, deficit of its own. You know, and uh, that, that that might be a priority, uh, but again you know we are uh, open to the u.s companies and to do more business uh, with the united states
1: wow so that is a great point to finish on uh dr Hunt, do you prefer to go by ambassador or doctor Uh, well uh, considering considering your very illustrious career i mean and and fairly recent experience as well i mean you were ambassador of chile to india bangladesh and sri lanka all through 2003 to 2007 and then as recently as uh 2015 you were in china so i mean this is all like a lot of the information that you're bringing to the table right now is very current uh, all things considered so um anyway again so do you prefer ambassador or doctor can we call you
2: both <laughs>
1: That again dr Heine is fine excellent um so you have had a very illustrious career and you've brought us some great information to think about and consider uh for our listeners i highly recommend that you go and check out the content that dr Heine has contributed to at the wilson center um you can visit their website and pull up related content that uh he's written or contributed to uh as well as a variety of articles on China, Latin America and Caribbean relations uh through China Daily. Uh I think you've even been cited in some of the some of your work has been cited in um China's policy papers on Latin America and the Caribbean. Um as well as your it seems like you're continuously participating in the different forums. Um you're contributing or drawing from the U.N. Economic uh, Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean. So uh, I have to say, I very much appreciate you being on here and appreciate all the work that you're doing. And I am looking forward to everything that you continue to work on in the future. So any final points or any uh, shameless plugs you have for us? Any <laughs> any publications you want to highlight? Well, uh, go go buy my book, something like that. Well,
2: I will, I will uh, say that uh, th- there are two books that uh, might be uh, relevant for the purpose of this uh, podcast. Uh, for your Spanish uh, language readers uh, I have a book called La Nueva India, uh, which is a book on the new India uh, and that basically looks at India over the past uh, 30 years. And uh, so that might be of interest. And uh, we also have a book uh, with City Arnson, who is the director of the Latin American program here at the uh wilson center uh, which is called reaching across the pacific latin america and asia in the north century which published by the wilson center a few years ago and that looks at some of the issues we've been discussing in this podcast
1: excellent uh hopefully we can go ahead and and have a further discussion on some of those publications in the future and just to correct myself i can't remember if i said institute or center but it is the woodrow wilson international center scholars course, in yes, Washington, D.C. It's a bit of a long-winded
2: title. The Wilson yeah. Center uh, is a, a good way of, of referring to
1: it. Right. And if you look for the Wilson Center on Twitter or any other uh, social media, uh, they're a great one to follow. They're constantly putting out um, a lot of uh, uh, video, a lot of audio, and a lot of reports that are definitely worth taking a look at. Um, I, I think I spend as much time on, on Wilson Center material as I do Brookings and CSIS. So it has I'm been a great to privilege that. for me. Say that again.
2: I'm delighted to hear that.
1: <laughs> so it's been a great privilege for me to uh, have you on the show. And thank you. And thank, you Michael. A, uh, thank you for the opportunity. And good afternoon and, and uh, have a good day to all of our listeners. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Latin American Intersections. If you enjoy our podcast or find it insightful, please be sure to share with your friends and colleagues. Hasta la próxima. See you next time.
1: A big thank you to Kasim Sultan of Sad Boy Music who is working diligently to improve our audio as we develop our production techniques. Sad Boy Music offers competitive rates for recording, editing, mixing, mastering, music production, video editing, and motion graphic design. You can follow Sad Boy Music on social media at 5ADB0IMUSIC